Amen. Amen. Can you just, I mean, seriously, can we give the worship team of this church a hand? Um, I don't think that's inappropriate. Go ahead and take a seat. I don't think that's inappropriate because often Paul um, ends his letters by saying, hey, and do me a favor and give a special thanksgiving um, to this person or this person, these people that have helped me or these people in whose home we meet. Um, I think it's appropriate. Um, what you don't know uh, around here, and, and can I just go on record as saying that um, I take this COVID thing very seriously. Some people think I'm a little too cavalier. I do take it very seriously. We invested $40,000 in online streaming, and some of you made that happen. But also, this whole team that was up here um, had to pivot as of yesterday. They were all supposed to be doing something else in the church, and so they showed up today, got the music, and this is why. Let me share with you why. Not because we've um, everybody's got COVID. That's not why, okay? What's why is because we're so careful that when somebody has been around somebody who's been around somebody, then we start going, you know what, let's just be overtly careful because we don't even know if they have COVID yet, but we're just being cautious. And so in order to be cautious, what we had to do is we had to just pick up the phone and say, okay, everybody on three, pivot, let's do this thing. And, and so everybody showed up and absolutely gave their best effort. And if I can just say that uh, when I was here this morning, and I think it's okay for me to say this, you know that I love all of them dearly. When we struck the first chord this morning, I thought, oh Lord, um, you're, we're going to need your help. And then for them to walk us right into the throne of God, screaming out that we need the mercy of Jesus in our lives. And, and I'm not thinking about anything that's up here except what they're telling me and encouraging me to. I just want to thank God for a worship team that is so vast and so talented and so wonderful that they can keep bringing us into the presence of the Lord. And I want to bless the Lord in that. Um, I've been spending this, um, this month um, without a title, without a theme, without backgrounds and all kinds of fancy things, um, just talking about the various ways that I believe that the word yield is going to be important to us this, um, this year. And I want to encourage you to get a hold of that. And if you'll remember, <clears throat> it wasn't just yield like get out of the way, yield like let them have their way, yield like don't do anything, just surrender. It wasn't just that. Yield is a two-part sort of a thing, okay? We, we yield and surrender to God, but we also yield and produce because God has led us into it. So yield can be the fact that this, uh, this, uh, this harvest field that Jesus spoke of, that you and I live in, of people that need to know God as their Lord and Savior, that God expects a yield from us. He expects you, and he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God that he will send more people into the harvest to bring forth a harvest. So there is a place there where we understand yield as God, I surrender to you. God, I surrender my rights to you, my inalienable rights, my personal rights, the rights that I'm most attached to. Remember Jesus said in an occupied situation, um, Rome was there, that if a Roman soldier says, here, carry my armor for a mile, which they had the right to do, um, Jesus said, go ahead and carry it two miles. Just go ahead and yield. Just go ahead and yield to him. Be so gracious, you know, that somehow they're blessed and they begin to think about what they're asking of people. And so I'm looking at that, okay? And so we're going to dive right into this message. Um, and I want to entitle this message, Put Your Sword Away. 
Um, just, just because, you know, it needs to have a title and uh, it's the working thing that keeps my head wrapped around what we're doing. And again, um, I write these things. Um, H.P. London, um, you don't know who he is, but he wrote a book called The Heart of a Great Pastor. And way back in the day, um, it, was a, it was a book that began to change my life. And he said, he said in there, he said, God is not interested in you writing sermons. And I thought, well, he certainly is. He called me to do it. Um, so I thought this guy might be a little whack. Um, and so as I kept reading, he said, God is interested in doing something in your life. And then as he's doing this thing in your life, he wants you to deal with it and put it out there. So every time that I sit down and I spend my time writing a message, it's always written with the idea of, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in our church? And what are you doing in our community? What are the things that Joe Wood needs to hear, that Joe Wood needs to share, that Vineyard Community Church needs to be a part of? And, and, and how do we take that? So understand that that's how we do. So I want to just address a couple of things because, you know, the church has been doing all kinds of things that the church hasn't been called to do, and, and one of them that has, has, has touched, well, it's just picked at my soul a little tiny bit, has been the idea of um, prophets. Now, I believe in prophets. I believe in prophecy. Um, I believe in retelling what God said, telling what God is saying, and foretelling what the Lord says is, is this or the other thing. But, man, I, this past 2020, I watched a lot of prophets jump up and proclaim things. Absolutely, this is the way it is. And, and I began to say, oh, man, I wish they would stop doing that. They're kind of giving us a black eye a little bit, and, and maybe you're going to say, well, God told them to do it. You can't tell them that, Pastor Joe. All right, I'll yield to that. Okay, I will yield to that. But I've just watched them do that, and then I can name a couple of them. It's like, well, it didn't happen the way you said it did not come to fruition as you said that. And the truth of the matter is, if we were to, to deal with things um, 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 spiritually and scripturally, if we were Old Testament, okay, we would have to say, well, there's a couple of those guys that we are really going to have to take out behind the church and stone to death. We're just going to have to do it. Because the scripture says that if there's a man that proclaims to be a prophet and says, God told me to tell you this, and it does not come true, that man should be put to death. Because that's how seriously... God takes the proclaiming of his word and how lightly people might throw his name around. Think about that for a second. That's how serious God is. And so as I'm beginning to, to write this message and, and, and unfold some of my thoughts and things and try to wrestle with what God is saying to me, um, then this is, this is what comes out of it, okay? Things have kind of, you know, they've just been continuing since last winter, right? We had winter, we had spring, we had summer, we had all kinds of chaos and things, and, and the whole world we felt was being turned upside down. And I'm not saying that things aren't um, getting better or they are getting worse. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying God has brought us to this place, and we live in a world, and the world is chaotic. And the truth of the matter is that we have had the opportunity, um, welcome those of you, I just saw the little red light that reminded me that you're out there and I just want to welcome you that are sitting in your homes because my brain just does things like that. It just runs down a rabbit trail, okay? And so, hey, welcome. But the, the, the fact of the matter is you and I have been called to live in this world and we, have lived, we live in a nation and in a world, a, a local world that's comfortable to us. If we compared our, our local world to places around the world where bombs are always falling and it seems that there's always a drought and it seems that people are always, I mean, like 98% of the country is unemployed in Zimbabwe. It's like, wow, when we start doing that, now granted, we don't live there, 
But the fact of the matter is, we kind of live on an island on this globe. And so, how should we live? What are we, what are we going to do? In this world that we live in, I'm almost at the place where I want to go back thousands of years ago, 2,000 to be exactly, where people that followed Jesus were not called Christians just yet. They were first called Christians at Antioch when Paul went to plant a church there and interact. But before that, they were called followers of the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way. Capital W. Okay, capital W, I am the way. So when people would, would proclaim that they were following this new teaching, this new understanding of, of the law, then they would say, I'm a follower of the way. And, and I'm at the place right now where it's like, you know what, that might be a good thing for us to grab a hold of because right now that phrase has no political content to it. I'm a follower of the way. But then lately I begin to, to get to the place where it's like, I want to ask this question. I want to ask people then which way, which way, capital W, which way, are you going? Which way are your feet pointed? Which way are you inviting people to come with you? When we look at the way, we begin to look at how we are doing the doing that we're supposed to be doing, and we can see that there's a number of different ways that we could actually respond um, to our local world. And by local world, I mean the planet that we live on. We have to decide in light of everything that's going on in Madison County and Central Kentucky and in the United States, how are we going to respond? And I began to look at that and, and just process that out. And I do believe this is what the Lord wants me to share with you. But look at this. We can, we can do what we know is clearly right and makes the only sense to us at all. I was having an economic discussion with somebody and I was not sinning and I was not getting sarcastic and I was not getting out of hand, but we were going back and forth and just wrestling with the economics and, and things like that. And, and so there's a place there that we can finally get to the place where we say, I'm on your side, but I don't see how your brain works. And people have said that to me a lot lately, okay? It's like, I think we might be on the same side of the river, but I think we got here different ways, didn't we? And it's like, well, I, I understand that. But there is a way that seems clearly right to every one of us. Regardless of the situation, regardless of what we're reading in Scripture, we look at it and we say, no, this makes sense. And somebody else might say, no, that doesn't make sense to me. This makes sense. And we've got to recognize that it's possible for us to understand that we're doing things our way. So we could do things that make absolute sense to us, or we can do what the enemy wants us to do and just cave in, and it's clear that he's trying to destroy our families and our nation. Um, I, and the whole world um, is, on the, is on the platter as far as that goes. Or we can do what Jesus specifically tells us to do. Not to be a doormat, that is not the example of Jesus, and there's a lot of people, again, just read the, 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 the memes that are out there. There's a lot of people that think, if I just take this verse and I stick it there, that's the truth. And it's like, it's out of context, that's not the whole of it. It's like, oh my word, I wish you know, we could just rein that in a little bit, or at least read your, your Bible, spend some time studying to show yourself approved, and then create a theological statement. That would be a lot better, okay? But here's the deal. At the end of the day, we need to be proactive. You and I need to do what Jesus tells us to do, not the manner in which we think he should have told us to do it, or not what we think he should have told us to do. So not the how or the what, because most of the time he's written it pretty clearly. This is, I want you to love your enemy. 
I personally believe that is hands down the most difficult teaching to understand and live out of Jesus. And like somebody else, I might say, well, then who's my neighbor? But for me, I might say, well, then who's my enemy? How do I interpret this? What are we talking about nationally? How are we doing this? And Jesus says, I want you to love your enemy. And I suspect that when he meets me, he's going to say, Joe, I asked you to love your enemy. And I'm going to have to give an account for every idle word spoken that came out of my mouth. And it's like, wow. You see, it was God that said in Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. And I don't think this is a hellfire and brimstone scripture. I believe it's God saying, hey, come, come close to me. I want to talk to you. Let the wicked forsake their ways. Let the unrighteous, that's going to come back in a minute, um, their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy. He desires mercy. That's what we just sang. He will have mercy on them, and to, let's return to our God because he will freely pardon. And this is the important part right here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Like everything, when we talk about this idea of yielding and surrendering, yielding and producing fruit, I want us always to understand we can apply it to every area of our lives. We can always apply it to our relationships. We can always reply, uh, apply it to our homes and raising children. We can always apply it to how we interact with our bosses and how we interact with our um, fellow employees and how we in, in, interact with people that serve underneath of us. We can always grab these things and say, um, what is it that the Scripture calls, it tells us to do? But, but I believe that the Lord is saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And I just want us to say that. I have this actually twice on my piece of paper, and there's a red line that says, say this with me. That means I'm supposed to say, that's the key on my page, say this with me. Say this with me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I believe that God is making a very, very serious point here. And we have to come to the understanding that the most natural thing for us to do in any given situation when we're attempting to deal with something is not always the God way, capital W. It's not always the God way. When we start determining how we're going to do it, and it's contrary to the actual word of God, the Bible, then we're doing it in the flesh, and that actually is sin. Think about that for just a second. When we rationalize how we are going to fulfill what God told us, and it actually goes against what God told us, even when it doesn't make any sense to us to do it God's way, when we say, no, we're going to do it the other way because that's the only way that God could have meant it, we are beginning to sin. We're operating in our flesh. That's what the scripture tells us is operating in our flesh. And we've got to be careful of that. There's a lot of, uh, of people call themselves Christians picking and choosing scripture, taking it out of the context, posting it as the law. And listen, even I have to be careful. I have to go back and reread the context. I have to go back and reread what I'm going to share with you. Because if you make a life change decision, Jesus says, or the, the Lord God said, that I will be judged more harshly as a teacher of the word than you will as a hearer of the word. So there's degrees of punishment with the Lord God. And so I believe, I believe, this is what I want to share with you, that we have to change our natural response to the world that is around us today. And I want to look at that real quick. In the book of John in chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
okay? He's eaten the Last Supper. It's not like we're going into Easter yet, okay? But he's eaten the Last Supper. He's been with his disciples. He sent Judas out. He told Judas, what you do, I want you to do quickly. And Judas, he booked it. He headed out. He had business to do. He had made a deal with some guys for 30 pieces of silver. And the scripture will tell us that Jesus decided that it was time to move on. They were done praying. So they went into the garden, and then they prayed all night. And the scripture says, when he had finished praying, excuse me, from the dinner, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove. And he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas... Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So G uh, Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. It looked like a scene out of Frankenstein. Pitchforks, clubs, whatever they could grab, in my mind, they are coming to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas is leading them. You have a detachment of soldiers, but you also have um, leaders of the local synagogue, and, they, and, and actually of Israel, and they have had enough of this Jesus guy, okay? And so, um, and that's where we are. It says, Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing right there with them. This is John talking. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he said to them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I told you that I am he. And Jesus answered, if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the word he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. John says, by the way, the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put, up your, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And uh, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for all the people. And so this is the picture that we've got. This is what's going on. Jesus is in the garden, okay? He is, he's prayed and prayed and prayed, and then suddenly he gets up because what's about to happen is going to take place, and here comes a detachment of soldiers. Now, um, reading back theologically, you have to wrestle. Is the detachment the full 600 soldiers? Did 600 soldiers leave Jerusalem to come see him? Well, there's a place where a micro-detachment would be 60 soldiers. Everything's in a portion, but it's very clear that the leaders of the synagogue, and it's very clear, and, and of, of the, the religious, Israel was a theocracy, not a democracy. So that, that's what really makes the whole social media thing a, a train wreck, okay? And, 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 and so just, just grab a hold of that, okay? They were led by God, not by elected officials, okay? Okay, so stop. I just need you to have that information. So here comes the officials of Israel, because they're in Jerusalem. They're in the capital city. And here comes the officials with this detachment of soldiers. And they're finally going to arrest him, and we're going to have this. And the story that I want to look here is, is, is Simon. Peter, okay? I will always relate to Simon Peter. When you see me do something really stupid on social media, I want you to say, 
He just went all Simon Peter. He, he did. Oh, bless his heart. Let's just pray. Let's just pray for our keyboard. Let's pray for our TV, our, our screen. Let's just pray for Pastor Joe. He just went all Simon Peter. Because Simon Peter whips out a sword and whacks Malchus right on the head. And, and actually, if he's right-handed, he whacked him on the head like that. And he brought the sword down like that. And he cut his ear right off. Now, let me just leave Scripture for a minute and go into my imagination. And there's his ear laying on the ground, flopping around like a fish. Okay? He whacks his ear clear off, and it's just laying there. And can you just see the guy? It happens so fast, he's like... And have you ever, like, swatted a child on the behind? And it t- There's that connection, the, the synapse that has to go from the rear end of that child to the child's brain. You've got that much time before the open mouth that is actually starts making noise. And so in my head, with the ear on the ground, here's a Malchus standing with his hand on his head going, and all of a sudden the noise comes with it. And then Jesus, Jesus is like, whoa, Peter, rein that in, buddy. Rein it in. Okay? And again, the Scripture doesn't say, and then Jesus reached down and picked up the little ear and smacked it on, smacked it on the side of his head, said a couple of words, and boom, he was healed. It simply says in the book of Luke, he reached up and touched his head, touched the ear, and it was healed. Now, I don't know about you, but I can imagine with it coming off that fast, A, it was a sharp sword. It was wicked sharp. That's what we say in New England. Everything starts with wicked, okay? It was wicked. You know, some things in my house, my wife will tell you, are wicked good. This is some wicked good pudding that I had the other day that Tracy brought. It's like, whoo, that was wicked good for three days. I will never get rid of this COVID. It's not, it's not going away. This is me forever now. It was wicked good, okay? Well, that was wicked sharp, and off came his ear. And I can only imagine that his ear was there. And I'm not saying I can't relate to him, because I can relate to him a little tiny bit. If you look carefully, and you don't have to, you can maybe zoom in on this ear just a little tiny bit, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's, a, there's a flat spot on my ear. There really is a flat spot on my ear. Next time, you, you, I'm going to be talking to you about something really spiritual, and you're going to go, you're right. And I'm going to think, yes, that was a good point. I studied this, and you're going to say, there's a flat spot on your ear, and I'm going to have wasted my breath. Because one time I got a haircut, and she left the hair right here a little too long, like this. And one Sunday morning when I wasn't the pastor, but we were going to church, I took my wife's sewing scissors, the Wiss sewing scissors. I got them babies out. She says, never cut anything but material, but I was trying to do it on the down low. And I was in the mirror doing it like this, backwards, you know. And I finally got to place and went like that real fast, and I went... Because when I looked at the scissors, some of my ear was on the scissors. And then I said, theologically, ah, like that. And my wife says, you did it, didn't you? You cut it yourself. You couldn't wait for me to come do it. And I said, it hurts. So I can only imagine Malchus's ear on the ground. He picks it up. He puts it next to his head. And there he is. But the point that I want to make is Peter's sword. That's the real point in this story. I believe that's what God is saying to me. I believe that's what God wants to say to you. It's Peter's sword. Rash thoughts, and that's what Peter did. Peter's, I'm going to get to later, so I'll skip it later, but Peter's that guy that's like, ready, shoot, aim. You know, you get that, right? It's like, what are we shooting at? 
You know, that's Peter. Lord, <clears throat> ear on the ground. And the Lord says, stop it. Stop it. We can relate to that because rash thoughts lead to rash actions. And often, at least in this case, a gentle rebuke from Jesus. Peter, put the sword away. Look at how Luke tells us. Luke says that Jesus says to his disciples, he said to them, but now if you have a purse, they've gone to the garden, now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he, this is what was written prophetically in the Old Testament, he was numbered with transgressors, and I tell you that it must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And the disciples said, look, Lord, we've got two swords. And Jesus said, that's enough. That's enough. It's enough. Two swords. He's not saying, that's enough. He's saying, two's enough. Two's enough. The purpose of the swords in this story is to prove that Jesus was running with sinners, not righteous people. Let, let, let that sink in for just a minute. I, I, you're, you're not hearing my interpretation. You're hearing what Jesus just said. I just read it to you. Jesus said, take your money, take your bag, and buy a sword. Because the scripture has to be fulfilled that I hung out with sinners. The sword is equated with sinners, and we cannot lose sight of that. What, what, what are we talking about a sword? Are we talking about a, you know, a big meat cleaver? Are we talking about Lord of the Rings? Are we talking about Braveheart? What are we talking about Peter pulled out a sword? A sword would have looked like this. This is what the sword would have looked like back in the day, according to theologians. The one on the bottom, not the one on the top. Okay? The one on the bottom is a tool. It's an everyday tool that people use. It's only this, it looks big, but it's only this big. It's, only, it's a giant knife. It's 20 to 22 or 24 inches long maximum. So we could probably go to there. But that's all the bigger it is, and you could carry one. You couldn't carry a sword, and we know it wasn't a sword sword because of this. The Romans were not going to let people carry uh, military weapons around on their person while they're occupying Israel. It's not going to happen. See, what you don't know from your, from your Bible, but from Josephus and some of those um, people of antiquity, is that there were still um, Jewish people, zealots they called them, that were going around and using weapons like that to kill people trying to end the Roman rule of Israel. They were trying to do it. They killed the, the son-in-law, the, what, what did I Wrote, they cut off um, Jonathan, um, they killed him dead, um, but they were trying to launch a war. The, the long and the short of it is they were trying to launch a war, and, and, and they saw that this was, this was what was going on. But can you imagine the two guys that when there's a great big contingency that comes up into where Jesus is praying, and he says, all right, it is time, and you don't know, time for what? He's been saying he's going to be crucified, but time for what? And then he says, two, uh, listen, does anybody have a sword? And he says, Lord, here's some swords. And then we've got two. And he says, okay, that's enough. And he says, it's time. Can you imagine the two guys with the th swords thinking, yes, we are about to strike the match, fire the shot that is going to create a revolution, and we are finally going to get Israel free from Rome. It's going to be great. They were so excited that they had swords, and they're holding them going, we have the swords. And Jesus says, great, that's enough. And now they're thinking, it is on like Donkey Kong. 
But they didn't know what Donkey Kong was back then, okay? If you're wondering, okay, no, they did not. But they're thinking, we are about to be the ones to do it. But the crazy thing is, it's only going to take two swords. Really? It's only going to take two swords to rout Rome out. And in the midst of it all, you could imagine that Peter pulls that sword out, that little short one, and he reaches up, and it would appear, I'm just... The vast number of people in the world are right-handed, not left-handed, so I'm just making Peter right-handed. And he, and he brings the thing down like this because Malchus is facing him, would be facing him because the contingency was facing them, and he brings it down because he cuts off Malchus's right ear. This would be Malchus's left ear as he's facing him, and it falls, in my head, it falls to the ground. Somebody picks it up, and somewhere in there, Jesus puts it back on his head and, and heals him. This whole unfolding of this story and looking at it and actually reading it and studying it is, is so important to our walk with Christ and who he is and what he came to do and what's going on. Today, we still are so, I am. Shall I just say I and you be you? And you don't say, yeah, we know you are. You say you, okay? I'm going to say me. I am so ready to protect Peter, and, and I say like, uh, protect Jesus, and I say like Peter, Lord, I won't fall away, but man, the first media that attacks this church or looks like it's going to lead some people astray, and man, I'm right back in there, and I'm taking the, my keyboard, and I'm like playing whack-a-mole with people. It's like, stop it. No, that's not right. No, that's not right. And it's just like, I, before I push send, I have to stop and say, is this what's supposed to be going on? Is this helpful? And I'm wrestling with it. And listen to me. I know for a fact I'm not the only one because I'm seeing some of the dearest, dearest, calm, peaceful, older people. And I'm an old people, so you know where I'm talking now, right? Not really. But, you know, and, and they're getting wound up and they're kind of losing that, that, you know, quaint little personality that they used to have. And so we're getting caught up in the wrong things and we're reaching for swords and whacking off ears. And I began to ask myself what's going on and I write myself notes and I'm going to share my note with you. The church is putting more effort into the internet wars than in making disciples. If being a Christian is about drawing men to Jesus, then draw men to Jesus. I promise you right now, you and I, sitting in central Kentucky, we are not in worse shape than Jesus was in Rome. Excuse me, in Jerusalem, with Rome um, over top of them. We aren't. We just got comfortable with who we were. And, and things started to change, and nobody likes change. Listen to what Jesus' brother says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now listen, it's possible to be angry and not sin. So anger is not a sin. But what I'm pulling out of this for my heart, I'm trying to do some heart surgery on myself, okay? I want you to do heart surgery on you. I want you to do heart surgery on you, okay? You are not free from this because you're not in the building. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So when I get wound up 
and, and become that keyboard pirate. I'm not producing the righteousness that God's looking for. And I have to be careful. And so then it goes on to say, therefore, James goes on to say, Jesus' brother says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now listen, I'm not here to tell you that Jesus is a doormat. I'm not here to tell you that at all. That is not even true. It's one of those things that keeps showing up on the internet, and it's like, oh, wow. Read the things that Jesus said. Read the things that John the Baptist said. Actually, read the things that Peter or uh, Paul said. Um, it, these were not men that were quietly um, or quiet uh, uh, about truth, justice, things that should and shouldn't happen. They were not quiet at all. But at the same time, what did Jesus tell us to do? First of all, I think we need to slow down and listen. Slow down and listen, all of you. Can I just say this? I don't have to be a part of everything that passes in front of me. I don't have to take the offense that's offered to me. I, read, I, I did a whole, I mean, I did listen to a whole sermon series from a guy from back in the 80s about just because somebody offends you doesn't mean you have to take offense. You don't have to. It's a choice. I really didn't like it, so I listened to all of it. You know, I didn't like his, his premise, so I listened to it all because it was good for my soul. Just because somebody offends me doesn't mean I have to take the offense. I can leave it right there. It all happens, has to do with what I'm trying to do by protecting myself from that particular person. And I have to determine, is, is it worth it? Not, not that person, is, are they worth it? Is the argument worth it? And it's okay if I don't agree with them. It really is. It's okay for me to say, no, I'm sorry, I, I don't agree. It doesn't change my love for people or, or how I feel about them. Jesus made it a habit often to go off somewhere and be bored and to be alone with God, to sit still and slowly focus on one thought, one scripture, one verse. And I would encourage you that slowing down means just that. If all you did was turn everything off, I've taken, my watch has a little thing on it. Every once in a while it'll, it'll vibrate and it'll say breathe. And, and it's like, what? It'll say breathe. And it says, take a spot, take a moment to focus on your breathing. And then for 60 seconds, the little thing just gets bigger and smaller, bigger and smaller. And I just stop what I'm doing. For the last week, I've just been stopping what I'm doing and breathing. Don't focus on anything going on around me. Just breathe. I think that's what we need to do is slow down and breathe. Just breathe. Focus on one thought. Jesus said, I am the way. And so, Lord, show me the way. So when things are getting crazy, my head is spinning out of control, I need to back up, turn all the TV and all the noise off, put the dogs in another room, and just sit down and say, Jesus said, I am the way. My prayer is, Lord, show me the way. And I can just say that 50 or 60 times and, and just be very quiet and be alone. My friend, fast, uh, Pastor Phil Taylor, he, he uh, pastors here in town at the Journey Church. Um, I watch him online. Um, he's getting better and better, and I really love watching you, Pastor Phil. I'm just kidding, man. Don't take it personal. I'm just kidding. Um, but um, I, I love what he said this past week. He said, get comfortable with being bored. So I made a note. Get comfortable with being bored. It's like, hmm, there's a thought. Slow down and listen, all of us. Slow down and listen. Number two, work on your own righteousness. Righteous, acting in accord with divine or moral law, free 
from guilt or sin? Are you free from guilt or sin? As you sit in here today, are you free from guilt or sin? Are you free from guilt or sin as in Jesus paid it all and you surrendered to him? Are you free from guilt, of sin, guilt or sin as in um, I, I'm, I'm up to date with Jesus, I'm, I'm good? Are you free from guilt or sin? Because the righteousness that God desired does not come through human anger. So me being angry isn't going to help. He calls us to get rid of our moral filth and the, prevalent, and, the, and the prevalent evil of our age. In other words, take a good look at you and work at becoming more Christ-like, and we together can change the world. Don't live distracted. Don't live distracted. Choose not to. Paul told the church in Philippi, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of, of things. And if on some point you think differently, see, even the church had different ideas back then, they, they had some things they didn't agree 100% on. But if you think differently, that too God will make clear to you only, the, here's the important part, let us live up to what we've already attained. We've attained our salvation. Jesus bought it for us. Now, let's live up to that. The third thing and the last thing is accept the word planted in you. So I wonder what you're doing to cultivate the word planted in you in you, in your children, in your community, in your groups that you hang out with. There's a term in Latin from centuries ago. The church had all of these terms, but the one that you and I are most um, used to here is um, sola scriptura, which means solely the scripture or only the scripture. That's what it means. And so I looked it up because there's sola gratia. Um, there's, um, there's, a, there's a number of them. There's five solas. Um, but it means only the Scripture, only the grace of God, only Christ Jesus, only. And I keep thinking, well, if there's five of them, how can it be only? Well, here you go. This is why it's only. <clears throat> because what it means is sola scriptura means that the Bible should interpret the Bible. And how do we say that here? What does the Bible say? about what the Bible says. When it comes down to it, when my soul is starting to get all stirred up, I need to go back to what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. I need to put my sword down. I need to yield to God's teaching specific. This is what Jesus said, and I've got to yield to it, and it is a hard thing for us to do. What does the Bible say about what the Bible says? Not does the Bible make sense. Not does this make sense for my situation. That's not true, and it's the hardest thing to do is to stop and say, the Scripture says what the Scripture says. The, the difficulty comes when we as human beings start throwing out hypothetical situations. Just pack those babies up and leave them in the box. When you find yourself in a, in a situation, the question is, what does the Bible say about what the Bible says about how I'm going to do this? That's the deal. Um, sola Scriptura only scripture the bible interprets the bible until it, it can't and then i have to dive deeper and see what it says i like what psalm 119 says and i would invite you to memorize it's like the longest chapter of the whole bible it's huge okay i just took a little tiny nugget out of the middle how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word by living according to your word I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your degrees. So there's a place for us. There's, there's a place for us. Let me, let, me, let me just back up over here. There's a place for us. Where did I put that? 
for us to slow down. There's a place for us to begin to work on us in light of everything that's going on, I promise. We need to get deeper into our relationship with Jesus if we're going to make it through what we might consider the crazy. And then we have to get into the Word. It's so difficult, but the Word has to mean what the Word means, or we don't have a foundation. If we can't trust the Word and say, my life has to change to do that, Jesus said, if you're going to try to save your life, and we do that by bending the Scripture so it makes sense so I can save my life. If you're not willing to lose your life for His sake in the Gospel, Jesus said, you're not, you're not fit to be His disciple. You've got to be willing to let go of this world. If we are the children of God, then let us start seeing ourselves as that, and we will start embodying that. Then we will be what we actually believe that we are. All of this, all of this to say, <clears throat> it really is okay for us to put our swords down. We know we're sinners, we know we're lost. Every single day we're asking God's forgiveness. But there's a place for us to say, now it's okay for me to put my sword down. I don't have to use my sword to straighten somebody else out. I don't have to use my sword to judge somebody. I don't have to use my sword because some, uh, I've got a bitterness inside of me. I don't have to use my sword. I can use the Word of God. And, and, and listen, it, it eats me up inside sometimes. But I have to go back to that. Even when I fail, I have to go back. And I'm not the pastor of the church because I don't fail. I'm the pastor of the church simply because the Lord said, Joe, plant the church, be the pastor. I'm just one beggar showing all the beggars where the free bread is. That's it. I have been given so much grace and mercy that God has grace and mercy for you. Listen, Jesus loves you. And he says it's okay to put the sword down but we've got to figure out why we keep picking it up. And I would just encourage you to get a hold of a good therapist. Why do we keep picking that thing back up? And let him delve into the filter that has happened or been created in your life through which you view even the Word and begin to find hope in a time of need. I want to encourage you in that. We're going to go into this closing song after I'm done praying. There are people out there that would like to pray with you. You don't have to tell them what it's about. You could just simply say, hey, would you pray for me? And they will, just right there on the spot. If you're online, you can go down, uh, go to vineyardrichmond.com, go down to the right-hand corner, a little green button that says chat. Push that. There's somebody right there that wants to pray with you. They, they do want to pray with you. Um, and they would love to pray over you and whatever it is you want to share with them. But that's what we gather together for. We gather together because we live in a world of everybody carrying swords around. And God is inviting us to put our swords down. Come follow me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we come before you right now, we, we are carrying swords of bitterness and anger and, and uh, offense. And, and we're feeling lashed out upon or we're feeling like we need to be the protector or that we're somehow the Savior now that you've saved us. God, we don't like what's going on around us. And we think somehow we can, in the midst of swinging swords, change it. It's okay for us not to like it, Lord, but we ask and pray that you reveal yourself to us in it. Whether it's in the bottom of a lion's den, in the bottom of a well, a dry well, in the belly of a fish, 
in a fiery furnace, being lowered down in a basket outside the city. God, we just ask and pray that you meet us. Meet us in the midst of the difficulty that we're facing and help us to stop overreacting. Help us to stop making rash decisions. Help us to move forward trusting you. That you are a God that will take us by the hand if we'll slow down and listen. And so we invite you, God, to help us yield. We thank you and praise you for this. In Jesus' name.